Welcome to Dialogues in Afro-Latinidad, a podcast dedicated to amplifying and elevating Afro-Latin American and Afro-Latinx histories, cultures, and communities. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Reed Vasquez. Join us for conversations with experts and artists to learn more about Afro-Latinidad. Venga. Today's guest is Jay Cintron Baez. She is the founder and artistic director of Looking Bilingue, a storytelling series on YouTube that focuses on Latinx empowerment and the celebration of biculturalism and bilingualism in the Latinx community. In season two of the series, entitled Orgullo and Afro-Latinidad, Being Black and Latinx, highlights many of the themes of this podcast. Get ready to laugh as you hear stories of real country living in the DR. Get inspired to travel to your family's homelands or even learn Spanish no matter what your age. These seven incredible people are proud of their multiple cultures, their skin, their hair, and their ancestors. They will make you laugh, make you say, I relate, while also sharing paths of self-discovery, acceptance, and the unrelenting racism and colorism that is still found in Latinx communities today. Welcome to season two of Looking Bilingue, Orgullo en Afro-Latinidad, being Black and Latinx. Her background is as a theater and language educator, specializing in teaching ESL through theater, song, and movement in Barcelona, Spain for eight years. Inspired by personal experiences and struggles with cultural identity, she returned to the States to focus on the link between cultural identity and language education, using the arts as a vehicle for understanding and building community. She holds a master in arts administration, from Drexel University and currently serves as the bilingual early childhood literacy specialist for the Free Library of Philadelphia and is a board member of the Philadelphia Women's Theater Festival and the Teatro Paloma, which is Lancaster, Pennsylvania's first and only theater company. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. So Lancaster, Philadelphia, Barcelona, <laughs> theater, language education, where did you grow up and how did your interests evolve and take you from Pennsylvania to Spain? Yes, yes. And, and it's funny, and I'll add another one to that. So I'm, I'm originally a, a North Jersey girl. So I grew up in North Bergen, New Jersey. I was born in Jersey City, Union City, um, was in North Bergen for the majority of my, of what I consider my childhood. Um, and Yes. So going to university at Rutgers University just really opened my eyes to just all this wonderful diversity. Um, and in Hudson County, in North Bergen, it was very diverse, but there was just so much more to see. And I just got to see more of potential for the world. Um, and I've always had very itchy feet and I've wanted to travel. And, and so I was lucky enough to study abroad during my time in college, which is what pushed me to eventually look for work and a life in in Barcelona. Excellent. And so and so thinking about uh, kind of jumping a little bit and we can fill in the blanks as we go, but thinking sure. about your uh, your YouTube series, Looking Bilingue, can you tell us what inspired that series? Yes. Um, you know what? There's there's no better story to tell than your own and of those that have similar experiences to you. Um, so I was lucky and fortunate enough to grow up in a household that spoke both English and Spanish. Um, I lived with my mom and my two grandparents, her parents, and with my mom, I'd speak in English. With my grandparents, I spoke in Spanish, and they were my primary uh, caretakers during the day. Um, 
And uh, my mom and I would speak in English. If we were all together, we spoke in Spanish. Um, and if my mom and I had a secret, we spoke in Spanish, <laughs> meaning if we were in front of other people, you know, so right, right. I very much grew up in this bilingual household, but you know, I didn't study it. Right. And I grew up with other, other kids who were like me, um, North Bergen at that time. And I, and I believe still, um, was predominantly a Latino community. Um, and so I grew up with other students, you know, who were from also various backgrounds. We all spoke English together, but if we had a parent that was nearby, we spoke in Spanish. So it was interesting, you know, um, the respect that we had for that. And we didn't really, um, blink an eye, but you know, our schooling was in English. So although I, Spanish is my maternal language along with English, you know, I wasn't refined in my Spanish writing or reading. I wasn't even really officially taught how to read and write in Spanish. Um, I just saw all these signs in my neighborhood in Spanish. I communicated in Spanish. I cried in Spanish. I got angry in Spanish. Um, <laughs> but also I didn't have anybody correcting me. So sometimes, you know, even today I'll say things that sound a little awkward or a little bit just like off, um, but still as a maternal speaker, and it's just this really interesting place to live in where you're like, oh gosh, I've never had to have this conversation in Spanish or what is this vocabulary? And I mean, the example I always use, which actually to be fair, I'm not great at in English either is like, you know, I don't know how to fix a car vocabulary, like what? Um, and so, <laughs> and you know, if I've never had that conversation with my family, uh, I potentially don't know how to explain it in the most efficient and best way. So there were a lot of struggles and situations that I found myself in, not just when I moved abroad, um, but generally when I was trying to express things about what I was pursuing academically, my interests, you know, just things that I, I didn't know how to explain at that level in Spanish that I was able to flesh out in Barcelona while still trying to ma maintain my Latinidad and my Spanish. Um, and also recognizing that Spanglish is a real thing and it's a great thing. And if anybody tells you otherwise, they are wrong. Um, it is actually, um, a beautiful mix of both languages and of that in-between space that first, usually, typically, first through third gen uh, Latino and Latina and Latinexes face. So mm -hmm. yes, that's, that's, how, that's how it was all born. <laughs> and so taking that experience, you channeled that into this uh, YouTube video series. And so what, tell us a little bit about that. Do you, is it about, is it an interview format? What, how are you conveying the stories? Yeah. Um, so basically looking bilingual is an interview series. Um, it, it's a celebration of biculturalism and bilingualism for the Latinx community. Um, it's a collection of these vibrant conversations, these soul bearing interviews, but also really humorous storytelling. It's really all focused around storytelling. Theater is um, theater and storytelling are my tools and word of mouth is my mode of transportation, you know, both on and offline. So I thought what better way, especially during, you know, 2020, when I, when I started it, than to connect with people and, um, tell their stories. And so, you know, by acknowledging the hilarious, but also difficult realities of, you know, quote unquote, looking bilingual, um, and things like that are skin color, Spanish language ability, um, Spanglish tendencies. Um, I'm through this project, I'm hoping to uplift and give, um, not give voice, but amplify voice, mm -hmm. voices um, of people and their personal lives 
um, and to really tell the stories of native speakerism, colorism, plain old racism, right? The struggles right. to assimilate sometimes to more than one culture and reality all at one time, that true sense of being ni daqui ni daya. And so I thought the best way to do that is through this visual story piece that you can watch visually, but also you can listen to, if you don't want to watch, you can listen to a podcast style. I love it. And I know that, that and I mentioned uh, earlier about season two, focusing on Afro-Latinidad. And so you can talk, can you talk a little bit about that uh, decision, uh, the rest, what, what, what was the motivation for doing that? And what are some of the most interesting pieces that have come out of those, that series, or that, that particular uh, season? Right. Um, that's, that's such a great question. Um, I, you know, again, I, I, I like to take inspiration from personal experiences, but also other stories that I hear um, and giving, you know, platform to them. And so there's two parts. To this. So there's one part that, you know, I do not know um, pretty much anything about my father's side of the family. Um, and what, what I do vaguely know is that potentially I have a grandfather um, who was um, Afro-Latino. Um, and, and, and there's, you know, features on me that kind of make that clear. I also happen to know that I'm a stamp of my father and my father is a stamp of his father whom he never knew. Um, and so it's just always been a, a really interesting question. People have often asked me if I was mixed, if I was Afro-Latina, um, in general, or if I was black and white and I was like, no, no. And I always was like, I wonder what are they seeing that I'm not seeing? And so in recent years, um, especially in my time in Barcelona, seeing how people were receiving me, um, I kind of started to wonder and I found this out about that side of my family. And I was like, wow, you know, I know that as Latinos and Latinas and Latinxes, we, we have this beautiful mix of cultures that although brought together through terrible circumstances, you know, have resulted in what we are now. We have indigenous blood, we have African blood, we have Spanish and Portuguese blood and, you know, and, and several other things as well, you know, other places. Um, but it really made me go, oh, I didn't really like take in the fact that it could be so close to me, but yet I could not identify as that, right? So, because I don't, and I'm very honest about that. Um, but I do acknowledge and try to honor in my work, um, the, you know, the conversations revolving that, um, like I said, you know, colorism, racism, they're very real things in Latinx communities. And so I try to put that at the forefront. And I'm fortunate enough to have an amazing network of people um, who identify as Afro um, Latinx or who know folks who do, and to have met people who you know more about their history or have, you know, or have this identity at their forefront and we're wanting to talk about it and to talk about the erasure that the Latinx community themselves do. So it's not just you being erased by people outside saying, what, you can't be black and Latino. Um, it's also people from within your own community saying, oh, you're not Latino, you're black. And it's like, oh, what? And so that I think was the most impactful thing to hear was that people that very much are part of both communities um, being told, no, no, you're not. Um, and how that has continued, and then not just even in, in the Latinx community, but in, in many communities has continued to, to be, to contribute, unfortunately, to the erasure of um, Black identities. Um, and I just, you know, 
I, I won't stand for that. So that's why it was so important for me to dedicate not only a whole season, but also in every season to make sure that, um, you know, that we have a variety of Latinx identities and Afro representation and people who can give voice to that. Absolutely. Yes, I was. That's why I was so drawn to that series, to the overarching uh, program, but especially to that, to the season, uh, to season two. And so, so, um, uh, so excited that you were sharing these stories uh, with the public. Now, now, and thinking about the way that you bring together the arts and your work, how, so as an artist and as an educator, how does you, do you think your work contributes to helping people understand? I mean, yes, this, absolutely the storytelling, the telling the visual piece does that, but what are the various, the variety of ways that you uh, get at uh, presenting Latinx and Afro-Latinx mm -hmm. communities, mm -hmm. um, their histories, their expressive culture, uh, all of those features? Yeah, I, I describe my work the importance of my work as the process, right? So yes, you get the final product. What you see edited, right, is a, is a wonderful glimpse of this person's experience, their story, um, you know, how we connect. Um, but that is certainly not all of it. And, you know, you obviously, I can't post, you know, the entire interview because it would be very lengthy and, and I want it to be a glimpse into this world. But I want the process for my guests to also be what they need it to be. So I focus on that. What does that mean? It means that we don't just meet and, and, you know, I throw just whatever questions at them. Um, we first meet and we have a whole conversation so that I can get a good holistic view of who they are and what they're about. And, and that's also actually another way that, um, that looking bilingue came about is because I was having these conversations for fun because, <laughs> you know, it was just so interesting to me to hear other people's experiences and seeing how they overlapped with mine or if they didn't at all. And so, um, again, it's, it's a chance to just really talk about yourself as a culturally holistic being and to celebrate that. That's also something else that's really important to me in my work is that people don't just see people of color Black people, um, you know, Asia, AAPI, as, as the sad, you know, sad stories and heavy stories. No, we also are hilarious and we have so much to us. And that is what it is to celebrate Latinidad, is to recognize everything, to know that, you know what, this, this story is very layered, but here's a really funny, you know, story that my grandparent tells me, or, you know, that has been passed to my family, or here's a hilarious Spanglish experience that I had, or here's a time where, you know, I don't know, it, it's just to really get the holistic sense of what all of that is, because, you know, in particular, when it comes to Afro-Latinidad, that, you know, like I said, being something that even within Latinx communities is ignored or looked at with a side eye, you know, we also have to recognize that these are our roots, not only personally, but for our country. So even if, you know, you personally know that there's, you know, potentially very, very, very little of that in your family, you know, what, how does it affect your country? How does it affect your community? So we have to break that mold of what being Latin is because there is no such thing. Um, no one person or group can define what that is. It's in our blood, it's in our music, our religions, our, our traditions. Um, and so I try, to, I try to really break that down in, in the interviews from each guest's perspective. I, I love your, uh, your passion for all this, and especially the the piece uh, the piece about this holistic approach about the new showing the nuances. It's not one monolithic story. It's multiple layers, as you pointed out, multiple experiences, multiple perspectives, and that is so critical 
uh, critical to, to help people understand that it's not just not there's not just one cookie cutter yeah. way to look at these communities. Yeah, absolutely. It's not um, that simple. No. And what would you say? So, in addition to kind of this um, holistic expression representation, what do you think, especially in terms of your, of your work, are some of the more urgent concerns? that um, Latinx and Afro-Latinx communities have. I'm just thinking about how do you approach it, for example, or what's come up in, in, in mm -hmm. interview commentaries or in workshops that you've, that you've done. Mm -hmm. How, what are some of the, what are the, the, seri the major concerns for these communities, especially thinking about how you can uh, uh, contribute to it through the arts? Yes, um, well, based on my conversations with my guests, um, again, for that season, Orgullo and Afro-Latinidad, an urgent issue, like I said before, is, is being told um, what you are <laughs> by people outside your community as well as inside. So you're getting hit from both sides. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and people demanding that you choose or people having that inherent trait that they, for whatever reason we have as humans, this inherent need to categorize um, even if it's at the sake of people's identities. Um, and this all contributes to erasure. And so exactly. my, my, my guess, I think, you know, overall we're talking about, you know, the moments that their families were like, oh, oh, cause you're so Latin or on the other side, oh, cause you're, cause you're black. Is that why you're doing, you know, and having, you know, people say, no, 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 clearly you're not Latina because look at you, you're, you're, you're black. And it's like, yeah, I could be both. And people being like, no, you know, like absolutely not. Um, and that I think is is hurtful because especially as children and I, you know, I work in, in a lot of early ed and, and, and whatnot, you know, you, you listen to these things and you start to internalize them. So you start to erase yourself. Um, and that's why this work is so important to me um, because whether it's about black voices, indigenous voices, Asian voices, you know, Southeast Asian, you know, what, whatever it, it is, um, we have these voices in our community. And again, like I said, I, I, I try not to say give voice. I try to say amplify, mm -hmm. you know, yes. where's the mic? Let's put it up to them and let's hear this. Let's hear these stories. Cause these are the stories that we need to be hearing now. And these are the stories that will help future generations and, and other little kids go and say, wow, I can do that. Or, whoa, they look like me. I mean, I, I have this, you know, and, I, and I've actually had that happen. I've seen children say, wow. Yeah, I used to work at this art center and this, and this little girl, this little brown girl said to me, she was like, you work here? And I was like, yeah. And, and she was like, whoa, I, I wanna work here. I'm like, you can. She's like, like you? And I'm like, yeah. And you know, and that just, that connection is just so important. So powerful, um, yes. Yeah, so powerful, you know? And I'm so grateful that now as, as a world, you know, there are many places starting to talk about the importance of mental health and the importance of, of really taking, you know, your own story um, you know, by the horns and, and, and saying, this is mine and I'm going to tell this the way that is true to me. So again, getting, you know, not erasing, not building that into children because then you have adults that don't even recognize that they are erasing themselves and everything that that can contribute to. Um, yes, yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, just thinking about the, I mean, it, it just, it permeates at every level. And you think about, I'm just thinking about this, this child <laughs> saying you, work here, 
Yep, and yeah. I, and maybe I can do the same thing. And because it's all because they see you, they see someone who looks like them participating, being involved, taking a leadership role, you know, yeah. being in charge. And these are really, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I'll just say as a parent, I know that those images are important and powerful mm-hmm. and we might brush them off, but it's, we can't, if, I mean, representation does matter. Absolutely. Absolutely. I see it. I mean, I'm fortunate enough that, you know, with my work at the library, I get to see that every day. And I work with, um, with Latinx and black communities in North Philly uh, with daycare centers and and their families there and their teachers and their directors. And like, I'm kind of a liaison for literacy and dual language. And of course I do it all through the arts. And, you know, I see these kids pick up a book and go, Hey, that's like, you know, I, I mean, it's actually always really funny. They, they'll point at somebody in the book and say, oh, it's like, you know, like so-and-so. It's like a kid across the room. Mm-hmm. And then the kid's like, wow, it's me. And then they're like, oh, let me find me in the books. These kids are literally looking for themselves in books because they get excited about it, you know? And, and, and I think about my mother, and, and this is, I remember this vividly, my mother being really upset when I was a child because she was looking for a Barbie doll that looked like me. And the best she could do mm-hmm. was a Teresa, which you know, is a brunette, but she's white skin, but there was, you know, cause after that it was, I think, well, it was either the, the black Barbie doll or the Asian Barbie doll potentially was out then. And obviously neither of those fit me either. And she was, I remember her being upset about it and I didn't quite understand it as a child, but she did. Right. And she wanted to make sure that I was seeing myself. Same thing with American girls. I, I was Samantha for anybody that remembers these, you know, because she, you know, the, the Latina, representation wasn't there yet so there was no brown figure um it was it was you know some midwest i think she was from midwest i don't remember anymore but these things are important and i've seen these kids literally look for themselves yep this is i mean we could go on and on but unfortunately i have to wrap up so i have one more question Uh, for people who are interested in uh, the video series obviously looking bilingual definitely check that out but what additional resources uh, would you recommend to people who are interested in learning more about this topic or ways to incorporate art or uh, other kind of digital projects, films, mm-hmm. organizations that you like to recommend? Yeah, I mean, you know, of course, like you said, I think everyone that is interested in this needs to watch and listen to like my interviews and my guests and their stories, you know, and it's visual, but you can listen to it as, as a podcast for sure. Um, and secondly, my, you know, and I really thought about this, I enjoy following palatable bits of how the community overall is reflecting, um, even when I, you know, I potentially don't agree. Um, And so for this, I follow a lot of Latinx-based conversations on Instagram and TikTok, um, because it's a great pulse for what people are thinking. Um, And again, I can't tell you how often I'm like, okay, I don't even get this at all, but it, it helps inform my perception of what's going on. Because if you live in a bubble and you only surround yourself with people that are saying what you're saying, you're going to just keep hearing like, you know, oh yeah, everyone cares about exactly what I care about. And I want to know, okay, what else, what other conversations are going on? So, um, you know, an example. of Yeah. So, uh, oh, well, um, so groups you should follow. I'll, I'll say this because there's a lot of ones on Instagram that I, that I really like. So like, um, to, to just keep a tab on, like, we are me too, pero like, um, Latina approved. Um, there's a Latina to Latina podcast. Um, there's, a, and then when you start liking them, a lot of other things pop up, but I wanted to also specifically um, talk about a group in Reading, Pennsylvania called Barrio Alegria. 
And Barrio Alegría is a community arts group and they do a lot of community. And, and I really mean that in the truest sense. So I should say actually community and arts group because they are a community group because they find grants for community resource programs like rental assistance and, you know, um, uh, other things of that nature. Um, but they also have, you know, spoken word. Um, they do a storytelling series um, show, like theater show. They have photography um, workshops. They, they do things with the community to bring everyone together. Um, and they are just an incredible group that I personally worked with when I lived there briefly um, that continues to do amazing work. And again, really in the true sense of community, not as a buzzword. They are fantastic. I also want to shout out Teatro Paloma here in Lancaster, PA. So again, it's um, a theater company here that's the first and only Latinx theater company in Lancaster. Um, and we do stories in English, Spanish, Spanglish um, by Latinx playwrights. Um, we are, you know, of course, happy to receive anybody who, who is interested in working with us, but we are predominantly Latinx based. Um, and then also I want to like highlight again, because I'm a language person, um, if you want to better your Spanish um, or your English um, or potentially another uh, language, check out programming at your local library. So I work with the Free Library of Philadelphia and they have an amazing language resource and language department. Um, and they have uh, an Instagram account that I believe is Free Library LLC, I think, Language Literacy Communication. I forget what it is, but I think it's something like this. And they have like amazing language resources, language groups, um, like conversation groups for a plethora of languages. It makes me want to quit everything and just take all these <laughs> programming <laughs> opportunities with them. But it's not just them. You know, there are other libraries and other community centers that also offer these opportunities to connect to um different communities at a real level. And that's why I know it sounds silly that I'm saying, you know what, Instagram and TikTok and following these different hashtags sounds silly, but really you wanna see what people are talking about on TikTok. There are amazing people. I have a friend, her name is um, Gati and she, her, her, I think her thing on TikTok is um, Gati La, La Dramati. So it's K-A-T-I, La L-A, Dramati, D-R-A-M-A, I think oh, I might have saw that, but Kathy La Dramati, right? So Kathy La Dramatic, yeah. Um, but she does a lot of like Puerto Rican history things and things that she's learning on her journey. And there's a lot of people like that um, who are putting out there these different BIPOC and Latinx stories. There's a huge Afro Latinx um, following on TikTok and Instagram. So, you know, we're out there, right? We're out there. And like, it's so important to see what people are doing every day for this and not just to stick to officially like sanctioned things that are told to you by like your TV set for instance, so. Yes, no, thank you <laughs> so much for all these wonderful resources. And no, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I'm, I'm constantly sifting through yeah. between, between Twitter and Instagram. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have to add TikTok, sifting through, just typing in things to see what, you know, typing in after that, mm -hmm. <laughs> see what's, see what's, see what comes up. Yes. So yeah. I, we'll, we'll definitely add these resources to uh, the, to our resource page for this episode. Wonderful. Um, I, I just want to thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your perspectives on uh, the power of the arts and storytelling. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Dialogues and Afro-Latinidad, please subscribe to our podcast and tell a friend. For links to the resources mentioned in the interview, visit our website at michellereedvasquez.com forward slash podcast.